بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما وسلم شريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. This is our tenth lesson of the book of Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya, and the book we are studying is Al-Jawab al-Kafi لمن سأل عن الدواء الشافي. The sufficient response or answer. To the one who asked regarding a complete cure or a healing cure. And the other name for this book is The Sickness and the Cure. And somebody asked Ibn al Qayyim al Jawziyyah a question that if a person is stuck in a sin and this individual knows that this sin is very harmful for him in this world and the hereafter, he's tried very hard to let go of this sin and quit this sin, but he just can't do it. Every time he tries, it becomes more and more difficult. What should this person do? Is there any guidance for this person? What do the scholars say? Is there any hope for me? So in responding to that, there is hope. Yeah. So in response to that, Ibn al-Qayyim has compiled this entire book as a guideline for people who are stuck in a sin and they don't know how to get out. So there is hope. Of course there's hope. And the whole reason why Ibn al-Qayyim gives such an extensive long answer is because he noticed that this individual was losing hope. And in Islam, we're not allowed to lose hope. If we notice anyone losing hope around us, we need to step in, intervene straight away. Because if you lose hope, you lose faith. You lose faith, you've lost Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no Islam left for anyone that loses faith. May Allah protect us, may Allah protect our faith and keep our hope in Allah intact as well. So this is the 10th part. Now, prior to this, we've covered nine sessions and a lot has been discussed. All of these sessions are on the Masjid YouTube channel. So anybody who's not up to date, um, you can follow up on there. Or maybe you might have missed one or two. So it would be good if you follow up on there. At least you know where we are and you're up to date. Because everything ties in together. Um, so what we're doing now, Ibn Qayyim is now going to move forward. This morning, we spoke about something quite interesting. Ibn Qayyim categorized sadness in a way which no one else has done. And he said, every sin a person does falls into one of four categories. Every sin you can think of in this world, it falls into one of four categories. The first one, Malakiya, very good. Malakiya, in English is called? Angelic sins, okay? What angelic when we spoke about it in the morning? Um, so number one, Malakiya, angelic sins. Number two, Shaitaniya, okay? So, satanic sins. Number three, Sabu'iyya, mashallah. Someone's remembered the Arabic really well. Sabu'iyya, mashallah. Okay, predatory sins. Predator, like a lion, for example. Predatory sins. And number four, animalistic. In Arabic, we say, bahimiyya, bahimiyya. So, four, every sin will fall into one of four categories. Either it'll be malakiyya, angelic sin, or it'll be shaitaniyya, a satanic, demonic sin, or it will be a sabu'iyya, a predatory sin, or it will be bahimiyya, a animalistic sin. And we give examples of each one. 
What's a malaki but an angelic sin? When a person tries and brings inside them qualities which only Allah deserves. For example, being almighty. For example, being all exalted. For example, being overpowering. For example, thinking oneself to be unique and better than everybody else. For example, having arrogance and pride. This is only for Allah. These kind of sins are known as malakiya, angelic. We're not allowed to have them. And this is the worst type of sins. Shirk also falls into this category as well. And Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziya will go into detail regarding shirk later on. The second type of sin is shaitaniya. Why is it shaitaniya and why is it satanic? Because a person committing these sins resembles shaitan. For example, hasad, jealousy. That's what shaitan did. Bukhal. Uh, and we say, uh, for example, what other examples did we give? Not rage. Rage comes in the next one. Any other examples on this one? Pride would be number one, the first one. Sorry? Yes, tricking, yeah. Tricking people, uh, embezzlement, for example, uh, deceiving people, uh, plotting against people, conspiring against people. These are the satanic sins. Then the third one we said is sabu'iyah, predatory sins. What are examples of predatory sins? That's the one you said before, rage, for example, uh, murder, for example, uh, oppression, for example, where a person, like, like a predatory animal, just goes and goes crazy. So oppressors, uh, oppression, tormenting, persecuting people, bloodshed. Okay, we're seeing a lot of it in the world today. Okay, and the fourth one is bohemia, animalistic sins. What are these? Greed. Okay, filling the stomach all the time, wanting to eat. Sexual desires, for example. All of these and everything related to zina also falls in this category as well. Everything linked to zina falls into this category as well. So we said these are the four types. Now, now Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah is going to bring a very interesting discussion regarding major and minor sins. Is there something called major sin and minor sin? If there is, what's the differentiating factor? How do we understand? What do the scholars say in regards to this? Let's go into this discussion. He says the Quran, the Sunnah, the consensus of the Sahaba, the Tabi'een, and the noble Imams after them have all agreed unanimously that sins fall into two categories. You get major sins and you get minor sins. This is something that's agreed upon by everybody. Quran, Sunnah, Sahaba, Tabi'een, and the noble Imams. In the Quran, we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In tajtaribu kaba'ira ma tumhawna anhu, nukaffir ankum sayyi'atikum. If you abstain from the kaba'ir, from the major sins, that we've prevented you from, we will wipe away your minor sins. So this is one ayah of the Quran, and there are others as well. There's another hadith, a famous hadith, reported by uh, Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, that he says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, As-salawatul khams, the five prayers, wal-jum'ah ila jum'ah, one Friday to another Friday, wa-ramadhan ila Ramadan, one Ramadan to the next Ramadan, mukaffiratun lima baynahunna, they wipe away the sins that are in between them. So from one Ramadan to the next Ramadan, if you fast one Ramadan and then you fast the next Ramadan, the sins in between all get forgiven. They'll get wiped away. Five Salah, you pray Fajr and then you do Dhuhr. All the sins in between get wiped away. Similarly, he gave the example of Jum'ah to Jum'ah. One Jum'ah you pray, you follow prayer. The following Jum'ah, all the sins in between get forgiven. As long as you stay away from the major sins. 
So what we learn from here, the sins that are getting forgiven are which ones? Minor sins. So if you stay away from the major sins, these actions themselves are sufficient to wipe away the minor sins. Now he's saying that actions, good deeds, he's talking about actions, that you do certain actions and sins get wiped away. Normally, we have to make Tawbah. But we learn that certain good deeds wipe away sins as well. Now which deeds are these? He says deeds in terms of them being an expiation and wiping away sins, there's three levels. Three levels, we're numbering again, so follow this as we're going along. Number one, إِحْدَاهَا The first type of good deeds are أَن تُقَصِّرَ أَن تَكْفِيرِ الصَّغَائِرِ لِضَعْفِهَا وَضَعْفِ الْإِخْلَاسِ فِيهَا وَالْقِيَامِ بِحُقُوقِهَا بِمَنْزِلَةِ الدَّوَاءِ الضَّعِيفِ أَلَّذِي يَنْقُصُ أَن مُقَاوَمَةِ الدَّاءِ كَمِّيَّةٍ وَكَيْفِيَّةٍ Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah says the first level of good deeds are you carry out a good deed but that good deed was very weak. It wasn't strong. It's, you did the deed. Whatever it is, recitation of Quran, Sadaqah, Nafil Salah, it could be anything. But it wasn't strong, it was weak. It was weak for two reasons. One, it wasn't performed really well. Maybe you weren't focused, maybe you rushed it, maybe your concentration wasn't there. And number two, he says, because the ikhlas was very weak. It was very weak ikhlas in there. You weren't focused, you weren't doing it only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, this kind of deed will not wipe away even the minor sins. And he gives an example. And I love his examples. His examples are really good. He says, it's like a weak medicine. A weak medicine. So sometimes, you know what, you go to the doctor and they prescribe you something. But they're not really sure of the dose. So they start you off on a low dose. He says, it's like a low dose. So if the medicine's there, you've done the good deed, but the dose is too low. He says, In terms of the amount and the quality. So you're supposed to be having like three times a day, you're only having it once. And it's for example, you're supposed to be having 10 milligrams and you're only having 5 milligrams. This is what he's saying. So some good deeds we do, but because the quality of the good deed isn't good enough, it's very weak and the ikhlas isn't there. Remember, ikhlas, sincerity, brings weight and focus in the good deeds. And we need, ikhlas is very important. Without ikhlas, there's no weight in our good deeds. So he's saying, this doesn't, so if, if for example, you've got a migraine and you take just the normal paracetamol, it probably won't fix it. So I'm gonna take it away. Even a normal headache, it's fine. But a paracetamol is not gonna take the migraine away. So if the good deed is not strong enough, if there's no concentration in there, not ikhlas in there, quality and quantity is needed. And that's through ikhlas. That's not gonna be sufficient. This is why we hear that, you know the Sahaba, it says about the Sahaba, their one handful of sadaqah was better than a person giving a mountain of gold today. Like, how can that be? If a person is today giving a mountain, you think that, that's not fair. Like, if I was to give a mountain of gold in charity, the Sahaba giving a handful of wheat or barley is much better and much more weighty. Why? Because of their ikhlas. Their, the focus was really strong. I heard an example where there were two, two friends and they would go home from school uh, every day and as they would go by there used to be uh, there used to be a dog a really wild dog behind the fence and they would see every day so because it was chained up and it was behind the fence they would go and pull faces at it every day they'd go there they'd pull faces at it they'd laugh at it joke at it try and call it they knew that how far is it going to go it's only going to come to the fence and it's chained up anyway 
So one day they're coming home from school and what happens is they go and do their silly faces again. And when they make the silly faces this time, they didn't realize that the dog was loose and the gate was also open as well. So he started to run. So these guys run for their life. So he says one of the friends, the guy who's saying the story because my mate, right? He ran so fast, there was a fence coming ahead. He actually jumped over the fence. Like normally you wouldn't be able to jump over that fence. But when you put your full focus into something, you can achieve it. This is ikhlas. When you, when you put the full into it, Sahaba, they did one handful, but it's more heavy than me giving a mountain today. Why? Because the full focus was there. We have like 5% focus, okay, and the rest of our mind is everywhere else. So he's saying if we do a good deed, and if it's too weak, it's not going to wipe away anything, any sins. So that's the first level of good deeds. Number two, Athania. So the second level of good deeds is you do the good deed is done to a better quality than the first. So it's good. You've done it well. Okay. But it's still not the best. So it's, it's, it's like a, on a moderate level. So that will be enough to fight away the minor sins. So you've done the good deed. It's going to wipe away your minor sins. Okay. Uh, and, and that could be, for example, you've done Salah. Okay. Or you've done Fajr and you've done Dohr. So this is in between. Okay. It will wipe if you've done them good, your focus is there, you've done it to a decent quality, okay? The minor sins will be forgiven in between. However, However, it's not strong enough to wipe away any of the major sins. It's not enough to wipe away any of the major sins. What does that tell us? That tells us that there is another level, number three, of good deeds. That if we do them to a good level, not only do they wipe away minor sins, but they can also wipe away major sins. Now, up until now, we've been talking on one track. Harmful effects of sins, harmful effects of sins, harmful effects of sins. And some people might be thinking, what is going on? Like, we're just talking about harmful effects of sins. Just like there's harmful effects of sins, exactly in the same way, imagine the benefits, okay, and the positive effects of good deeds. And we know the system of Allah, the mercy of Allah has surpassed his anger. So the benefit and the good effects of committing good deeds will be way more than the effects of sins. Okay, but our topic is on this, so we're going to stay on this and then we'll come on to that later on. Number three, it says Athalitha. The third type of good deed is, the good deed is done to such a perfect level, it wipes away all of the minor sins. And there's still some energy and power left. You've not used up all your currency and all your points that you gained through doing the good deed. You've still got some left. And that will wipe away some of the major sins. Not all of them, but some of the major sins will also be wiped away by doing these. And this is amazing. Uh, now, Shaitan, you know, he works with us in a very deceiving way. And we need to recognize the way he works. Otherwise, you know, we just give up on everything. And that's what happens. Shaitan tells you, for example, if you end up committing a sin, right? You've done a sin. Well, we're all human beings. Everybody sins. So a person commits a sin. Shaitan now tells you, you don't deserve to go to the masjid. You don't deserve to go to the masjid. You don't deserve to read Quran. You, you just did that sin. You don't deserve to go to the masjid. Why are you going to the masjid? You can pray at home. You don't even need to pray. Like, why are you praying? You've just done that sin. You don't. So Shaitan plays with us like this. Now, how we need to learn how to combat that because this battle is happening 24 7. 
This isn't just something that happens now and again. Because the Kareem, the Shaitan is with us 24 hours from the time we wake up till we go to sleep. Even when we're sleeping, he's there. Okay? So we need to know how to overcome Shaitan. So one of the easy ways to understand this is, for example, you ask, you can tell Shaitan, the hospital. Is the hospital for healthy people or sick people? For sick people. So the masjid is also for sick people. Okay? In the masjid, if I'm spiritually sick, I need to go to the masjid. This is how we overcome shaitan. When he tricks us, we have to trick him back. And say, no, no, no. What do you mean I don't deserve? I need to go. If I did a sin, I need to be more in the masjid. I need to come more. Because this is the place where there's healing. There's shifa. There's rahmah. There's forgiveness. Allah will forgive me. There's more chance of me being forgiven. If I stay in the home, I'm not going to get forgiven. I should go to the... This is how we need to combat the shaitan. Ibn al-Qayyim says, فَتَأَمَّلْ هَذَا فَإِنَّهُ يُزِيلُ عَنْكَ إِشْكَالَاتْ كَثِيرًا says, really ponder upon this and understand this discussion very well because it removes a lot of doubt and a lot of questions that come in people's minds. Because, you know, Quran tells you that minor sins are forgiven. Then we talk about the major sins. Can you see how he's broken it down? Now, I've not read this or come across this anywhere else. The way he's explained it is very, very beautiful and it really, you know, gets the point home. Now, we're going to go into understanding, again, the difference between major and minor sins. So there's one hadith where the Prophet said, uh, in Bukhari and Muslim, He said to the Sahaba, Shall I not tell you the major of the major sins? You've got major sins. But you've got some sins that are even more major than the major, the most major sins. Now, this is a very, uh, like, Sahaba would respond like this a lot. Bala, how would you translate Bala? Bala would mean like, of course. Like, why not? Please tell us. Because do you know what? They wanted the knowledge. They wanted that knowledge to protect themselves. You have to learn these things to protect yourselves. So they said, of course, please tell us. We want to know. We really want to learn. So the Prophet ﷺ counted three things. Number one, he said, Al-Ishraqu Billah. Joining partners with Allah. The greatest of the major sins is joining partners with Allah. We'll speak about that more in detail. So a beautiful discussion to explain why shirk is so bad. What's the reason why it's so bad? We know it's bad, but why? He's going to explain that. So the first of the most major of major sins is committing shirk. Number two, uququl walidain. Uququl walidain means to cut off your parents. Akka ya means to cut something off. Okay? So, uququl walidain, normally we translate as disobedience to parents. But the literal meaning is to cut off. A lot of people, unfortunately, they cut off from their parents. They stop talking to them, they boycott them. Okay, over something. People just cut off and say, right, you know, we're not going to engage with you. So this is the second of the most major sins. And number three was shahada to zur. To give a false witness. Can someone ask you for a witness statement? Falsify it, you make it up. This is actually considered as the most major of major sins. And so that's one hadith. There's another hadith, the Prophet said, So in this, how many, how many sins were there? Major sins? Three. I'm, I'm sharing this hadith with you so you can see, because we learn from the Quran and the Sunnah, don't we? So we have to take our knowledge from them. So in this hadith, it says there's three major sins. There's another hadith here, the Prophet says, Stay away from the seven destructive sins. So that hadith says three. This one saying seven. 
It happens, it was done on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that is why we had the revelation of Qul A'udhu Bi Rabbil Falaq, Qul A'udhu Bi Rabbil Nas. Number three, وَقَتْلُ النَّفْسِ أَلَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ To unjustly kill somebody, murder somebody. And you, and you can't justify that killing. Innocent person, just kill them. That's how many? Three. Number four, أَقْلُ مَالُ الْيَتِيمِ To embezzle the wealth of an orphan. If Allah has put, kept an orphan, and made you responsible and the funding is coming in maybe they're still underage and you just usurp that wealth and you take it they don't know any better maybe they're underage maybe they're not aware of it what was left behind for them when their parents passed away and you just eat all that up this is a major sin a destructive sin number five akhlul riba consuming interest no matter it doesn't matter if in 2022 if we get to 2014 2050 2070 it doesn't really matter if we get to the year 3000 Okay, interest is haram, it remain haram. No one can change it. You can't change something. Okay, the bar, Islamic in the, the bar will stay the same. If people's values change, okay, someone wants to identify as, I don't know, a, a tomato. I'm a tomato today. Okay, that doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Okay, what's right is right. Islamically, for Muslims, it will remain right. And what's wrong is wrong. Islamically, if I was born a male, I will always be a male. Okay, I will always be a human being. Even if I call myself a cat or a dog, it doesn't matter. So the bar in Islam stays the same. Riba, usually is haram, it remain haram. Nobody can change it, okay? So this is talking about consuming, okay? We're not talking about paying, that's also haram, but there's a difference there in the seriousness. Consuming is much worse than paying. I'm not saying paying is allowed, okay? Paying is also haram, but the worst is aklul riba, consuming interest. What tawalli nasatin is today, usury, usury, yes, that's what we call it in English, interest usury. In Arabic, we call it riba. We call it sud, 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 or all of these. We, we are, is it we are, is, that, is that the right word? The, in, uh, yeah, in Gujarati, is that what we call it? Yeah. What do the Kokmis call it? Interest. <laughs> okay. Kokmis are modern. No, there must be a word in your language. We are same. Okay, so same. We are okay. So we're, we're, we're matching here with the Gujaratis. Anyway, so it's sad because today no one speaks about this. I know a lot of us are, are involved in it, but there's a lot of topics which are not being discussed from the Mimbar and Mahabad anymore. They used to at one time, but we have to speak, keep speaking about these things. Because just because they're not being talked about, people are thinking and taking it lightly, thinking, oh, it's okay. It's okay. If it's not okay, it's not okay. We have to stick to it. And yes, it's difficult, but that's what this life is about. This life is not paradise. It's a struggle. So, number six, Zahaf means when you go to battle and you face the enemy, so you've got your army, the Muslim army there, the opponents are there, right? Everyone's there and it's time to fight now. You do a runner. Okay? You, you leg it basically. No one's watching, no one knows, and you just zoom out. Okay, you duck and dive and you just manage to just slip out from there thinking no one's going to see you. That's a major sin. That's when the, 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 the army needs you the most on that day. Up until now, you just stay together for the day. Today is the day, today is the day to fight and to show your courage and your valor. And you've run away. This is considered a destructive sin to run away from the battlefield. 
And number seven, to slander a just believing woman, even a man, okay, but generally happens on women where people accuse them of sleeping around, of zina, whereas it's not true. So you have to be very careful. In an Islamic country where there's Sharia law, if you slander somebody and you can't prove it, you get 80 lashes. Imagine what would happen to the keyboard warriors, okay? Uh, and all of us as well, we just, we're so free. And it's, just, it's a really serious thing. You can't, you can't just say about somebody that so-and-so, you know, sleeping around with so-and-so. You, you can't say that. Did you see it with your own eyes? Because even in an Islamic country, if you were to go to the court and you knew about it, you actually knew, you knew about it. But if you went to the court and gave a testimony, if you couldn't provide four witnesses, you'd get lost. Can you see Islam maintains the dignity of every individual, even sinful people? And then they're claiming that, oh, Muslims are like homophobic and they look down on this and then... No, no, no. We protect even the sinner. We're not supposed to speak about and expose anyone's sins, not your own and not anybody else's. We be encouraged. If you hide the sins of other people, Allah will hide your sins. If you expose other people, Allah will expose you. So, let alone uh, exposing, we've been told not to even like, even if you know about the sin, you can't really go unless you've got four witnesses. And four witnesses who actually seen the act taking place, it's next to impossible. They say Islam is barbaric and it's backwards and it's really cruel and they've got the stoning penalty, they stone people. How many people have been stoned to death in the time of the Prophet wasallam? You, you can count them on your fingers. It's, it's next to impossible for that to actually happen where four people witness the actual act taking place and they have the same account. If three people have the same story and one of their stories differs, the judge is going to cancel it, you know. And it could even lead to slander. You, you can approve it. So, and again, it applies to males as well. If somebody accuses a male, slanders a male, same thing as well, over there as well. Why did we go through this? One hadith mentions three major sins. This one mentions seven major sins. Now, He's saying that the scholars have differed regarding the major sins. Is there a fixed number? Is there 10? Is there 20? Is there 3? Is there 7? Is there 18? Or oh, we don't know the number. So, there are different opinions. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud used to say that there are four major sins. Abdullah ibn Umar used to say there are seven major sins. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-Asr used to say there are nine major sins. And there are other Sahaba who said there's eleven. And there are some who said there are seventy. Now the most interesting one which Abdul Qayyim brings in more detail is, that, is the statement of Abu Talib al-Makki rahimahullah. Abu Talib al-Makki rahimahullah, he says, I studied all of the hadith, all of the sayings of the Sahaba, all of the verses of the Quran, all of the sayings of the Imam. I studied deeply and I went over it again and again and I gathered all of this together. And he says, through my study and my research, I'm going to present it to you now. And this is, this is quite amazing what he's done. He says, sahaba. I gathered from all the statements of the Sahaba, I added them all together to find out how many major sins there are. Fawajidtuha. So altogether he counted, you know how many? 18. He says, I found that there are 18. Now he's going to break them down. This is really cool. Fawajidtuha. He says, Four related to the heart. I want you guys to remember this. Okay? Four related to the heart. And I'm going to tell you what they are as well. First, let's just uh, number them. So four for the heart, 
four for the tongue, and then three for the stomach, two regarding the private parts, two regarding the hands, one regarding the feet, and one that's connected to the whole body. Okay? Did anybody count them all together? Was that 18? Yeah? I counted 18 before I came, so I think it's correct, but if not, um, do correct me. So, like you guys tell me, what were they? Four for the heart, four for the tongue, three for the stomach, two for the private areas, two for the hands, one for the feet, and one for the whole body. Okay? Are we ready to understand which one they are? Is that 18? Yeah? Oh, we've got our masjid accountant at the back, mashallah. So, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah. Uh, so he says, Four for the heart. What are they? Number one, a shirk. Number one is shirk. Number two, this is a scary one, the second one. The second major sin connected to heart is to persist on committing a sin. So sins are supposed to be done like now and again in the sense that or you mess up and you do a sin and you make toba or you know you just you weren't mindful and you committed a sin but if somebody makes a habit it connects to what we're discussing if you make a habit even if it's a small one but if a person is doing it all the time regularly that then becomes a major sin that act in itself forget the sin but the act of persistence on a disobedience he says is a major sin i think most people don't know this Okay, so this is something important to learn. To be persistent and have a habit and committing the sin again and again and again, that is actually a major sin. The third one is also a worrying one. Al-Qunut min rahmatillah. To lose hope in Allah's mercy. To give up. For someone, I've given up, you know. I've got no hope left. There's nothing, nothing's gonna work for me. Nothing at all. I've tried everything in the book, you can imagine. Okay, that's giving up hope. And that is considered a major sin of the heart. Quran says, only those people lose hope in Allah's mercy who are disbelievers. This takes you very close to Kufa. Allah doesn't like this at all because Allah's mercy is very vast. And for someone to lose hope in Allah's mercy, like you, you've not recognized and understood how Allah works at all. So al bin rahmatullah. The next one is also very worrying as well. Well, to feel a sense of security from Allah's plan. So if I'm living a life of sin, right? I'm committing sins. And then I go about my life thinking nothing's gonna happen to me. I'm cool. I'm okay. Look, nothing's happening to me. I'm fine. I can see, I can hear. Allah's not gonna do anything to me. He, he loves me too much. I, I've done good deeds. I've been for Hajj. I give Sadaqa. So I'm carrying on sins, but I'm feeling security. That sense of security in the heart to feel nothing's going to happen to me. Allah won't do anything to me. This is a major sin of the heart, he says. Because this is what the people of the past used to do. Yeah, if, if, if we were really bad, if we were really sinful, Allah would have thrown the sky down upon us. He would have ripped the earth. The seas would have swallowed us up. Nothing's happened. We can't see anything happening. So that means what we're doing is not that bad after all. It's okay. So to live a life in sin and then think, Nothing's ever going to happen to me. It's fine. Security, having a sense of security from Allah's plan. Remember, we are between hope and fear. We have to have both. 
We can't become really scared, but we can't have too much hope. Remember what we said about hope and fear. If your hope stops you from doing good deeds, you've got too much hope. If your fear stops you from doing good deeds, you've got too much fear. So we need to balance it out. If your hope stops you from the whole conclusion of everything is what? We need to do loads of good deeds. That's the, that's the bottom line. We need loads of good deeds. That's what we need. And stop doing sins. Simple. So, those were the four of the heart. Shirk. And number two, being persistent on sins. Number three, losing hope in Allah's mercy. And number four, feeling a sense of security from Allah's plan. The tongue, there are four related to the tongue. Shahada to Zur, to give a false witness, a false statement. To slander a chaste woman or a male, to blame them that they committed sin and they haven't. To say, Wallahi, Wallahi, bro. And to use Wallahi and take a custom when it's not true. Were you there? Wallahi, I was there and you weren't. And people take it very lightly nowadays. Qasmi bro, the burger was sick. Like why do you need to say Wallahi and Qasmi for a burger? It doesn't a burger. There's no need to bring Allah's name when you, in a small thing. Okay? Um, and Wasih, this is through the tongue, black magic. So these are the four related to the tongue. False witness, number two. Slandering a chaste woman, number three. A false oath. And number four, Sihr, black magic. So we've done four of the heart and four of the tongue. Now, وَثَلَاثٌ فِي الْبَطْنِ The stomach, there's three related to the stomach. شَرْبُ الْخَمْرِ Drinking alcohol, and in this comes your intoxicants, drugs as well. Okay? Doesn't matter whether they legalize it or they don't legalize it, whether everyone's doing it and everyone's having weed or they're not having weed, it doesn't matter if it's haram, full stop. For med medicine purposes, people take it, that's different. Okay? You've been prescribed, that's different. But intoxicants, large amount, small amount, it's all the same. Shabul Khamr, it's one of the major sins. And just because a lot of people are doing it, that doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean it's okay. That means we should be more concerned. We need to raise more awareness. We need to make more dua for them. And we need to try and protect ourselves and our family members from it. So number one for the stomach, how many three for the stomach? One is taking intoxicants. Number two, eating the wealth of an orphan. And number three, consuming riba and interest usury. They are for the stomach. And there are two related to the private parts. Number one, a zina, adultery, fornication, everything that falls into that. Homosexuality as well. So both have been included. Ibn Qayyim is highlighting, you know, 700 years ago, that both of these things are haram. Now, remember, we're not saying here, I have to say this, over here, it doesn't say that hate, hate the person that commits this sin. It doesn't say that. It, it, it's weird and really strange how they're like pushing this idea on Muslims that Muslims are homophobic. Like, do we say from the member, have we ever said anybody that commits sin, I hate them? Like, we'd be hating most people nowadays. Okay, everybody commits sins. Okay, we, we've always taught you hate the sin, not the sinner, regardless what the sin is. Whether the sin is zina or whether the sin is homosexuality. Homosexuality was prohibited in the Torah, it's prohibited in the Bible, it's prohibited in the, in the Quran. The bar is not going to change, remember. If people's values change, the bar will stay the same. Okay, just because 
people are identifying themselves as something different and people are, it, it doesn't matter, that doesn't change things. That's number one. Number two, when have we ever in history, Muslims or non-Muslims, identified ourselves with our sexual orientation or a sin that you commit? It's a strange. But because everyone's doing it nowadays, it's becoming normalized. But for Muslims, we have to remember the bar is, doesn't, it isn't lowered. Until the day of judgment, it will always remain. Do you know why Allah says in the Quran very beautifully? <laughs> to Allah belongs the creation and to Allah belongs the rules. Simple. Creation is Allah's. The rules are Allah's. I think this one short ayah answers every question you can raise against anything to do with this. Or any question anyone poses. To Allah belongs the creation. Allah made me, I am Allah's, and He made the rules. Who am I to question Him on the rule? He said homosexuality is haram. If somebody does it, they're sinful. It doesn't take them out of the fold of Islam. And we've never identified ourselves with our orientation. It's a private thing. Uh, mind my language, right? Mind my language. It might come across a bit rude. But it's like somebody walking into a room and everyone's introducing themselves and says, yeah, my name is John. I'm a wanker, for example. And it might not be appropriate to say this, but can, can you see how silly it sounds? Okay, if you're doing something privately and you recognize it as a sin, what's the need of telling everybody about it? Okay, that's not how it works. Okay, you don't introduce yourself and your identity is not based on something you're doing privately in fulfilling your sexual gratification. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. But this is what's being pushed. And many Muslims, many Muslims are falling into this as well. And we're kind of, you know, normalizing and trying. Look, Islam has never said, even Luke he said to the people, Inni li'amalikum min al-qaleen. He said, I hate your action. He didn't say, I hate you. Quran, this is Quran. Inni li'amalikum, your action, is despicable, not you. He didn't say you. He actually, he loved the people. So much so, he said, Here, take my daughters. He was willing to give his daughters in marriage. Would you give your daughter in marriage to somebody you hate and you're homophobic towards? No, you wouldn't. So this is, this is their narrative. They're pushing onto us to try and push their agenda. Islam has never been like that. We have a principle, we hate the sin, not the sinner. And this, all sins are the same at the end of the day. If it's wrong, if someone's doing shirk, okay, we don't go around saying that, you know, we're going to hate all the mushrikeen. Okay, general is not like, and if a Muslim, for example, is, is doing a sin, we don't go around saying, okay, hate everybody that, that commits zina, or hate everybody that does this or does that, or takes interest. It, 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 it's not like that. So, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, mentions there are two linked to the hands. One is murder and theft. Murder and theft. And there is one to do with the feet or the legs. And that is running away from the battlefield. And the last one is very interesting. He says the last one is, what did we say was the last one? It's related to the whole body. Anybody know what that is? There's one sin. It's so serious, so serious, that it's not linked to one part of your body. It's linked to the whole body. No. No, we've done killing already. We've already mentioned it earlier in the other hadith when we spoke about three of the great major sins. Uqukul Walidain. 
cutting off from your parents. Because your mom and your dad, they used their whole body to bring you into this world. Your mom went through so much, the whole, head to toe, her whole body was in pain, in agony, just to bring you into this world. And when you cut off from her, and your father obviously exerted a lot of time as well, an effort he earned, sleepless nights, he did so much. A whole day, whole night went behind you, and now you've grown up, you've got some muscle, and you want to answer back to your parents, you want to cut off from them, you want to speak rudely to them, okay? This is considered such a major sin that is linked to the whole body. The whole body is committing this sin because your parents exerted their whole body to bring you into this world. So, Uqukul Walidain is a very serious one. And we bring this topic up in Ramadan because in Ramadan, when Allah forgives everybody and Laylatul Qadr, one category of people who are not forgiven are those who are disobedient to their parents. And as we're getting closer to the time and the day of judgment, we're getting more and more disobedient children. May Allah protect us. May Allah save us. May Allah look after our children, our youth, our young, and give them the ability to understand the honor and the respect of parents. So after mentioning this, um, he said, so everybody kind of followed that, right? They were 18 and we listed them as we went along. He says there's another opinion as well. So that was the opinion of those who said there's a fixed number. Now you see, let me show you another opinion. Some scholars, there are some scholars who did not differentiate between major sins and minor sins. What did they say? They said, he says, according to some scholars, every single sin, when you look at who you are disobeying, the audacity, whose command is it? Allah said, don't do it. He says, when you compare it in that way, every sin is a major sin. Because who's telling you not to do it? Allah. He goes, how can you have the audacity when Allah's told you not to do something, and then you, that is that boldness, that audacity, that courage a person has. Allah, even though you've told me, I, you'd have no hesitation, I'm going to do it. So he says, from that perspective, some scholars have said every single sin would be considered a major sin when you look at who you are disobeying. Look at whose command is being disobeyed. And in that sense, they seem to be all. Uh, destructive and major he gives an example like he's been doing throughout this is if a person was to commit for example a person didn't know he didn't have knowledge a person did not have knowledge of halal and haram and he went and committed, for example, he drank alcohol. Or he went and committed zina. And he didn't know, for example, the person didn't know this is haram. He says there's two sins over here. One is a sin of ignorance. It's not enough. If you drive through uh, a speed camera, okay, you could turn up and say, I didn't know. I didn't know the rules. Okay, I just passed recently. I've just come to this country. No, that's not going to be acceptable. So in the court of Allah, ignorance is not going to be acceptable. You'll be, you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to study what's halal, what's haram. Basic knowledge, everyone needs to know. So what will happen is if somebody carried out a sin out of ignorance, he didn't know, right? And he went and drank alcohol or he committed zina. He's going to get two sins. It says there's going to be two evils there. Uh, one is the sin of, uh, one is the sin of ignorance and the other is the sin of committing it. However, he says, 
Then he says that If the person knows zina is haram or drinking alcohol and gambling is haram and after knowing it's haram you go and do it your sin will be one. That guy he had two sins, ignorance and the sin. Your sin will be one. However, the sin will be much greater than the first one because you knew it was haram and you had the audacity to still go against Allah. That person didn't know and he did it. So he'll get sin, his sin will be lower. Your sin will be greater because you knew. And this is this person is deserving the punishment more, more than the first person. His punishment is more deserving because he had something we call jur'ah. And that is the audacity and the boldness that despite knowing, a person still carries out this deed. Therefore, we need to just like get on with it, be focused on what we've been told to do. And, you know, not knowing, not knowing, sometimes not knowing, it's, it works. Aisha radiallahu anha, she had a bag of dates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is after he passed away. She says, I used to eat from this bag of dates every day, regularly. I'd eat from it. I wouldn't look inside, I was eating from the dates. Regularly, for such a long time, I just kept eating, dates kept coming up. One day I thought, let me look inside. Because I looked inside, and they finished. Actually, this is during the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa time. And she went to the Prophet and said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I've been eating from this bag of dates for a really long time and they've just not finished. Today I looked inside and they finished. And he said, if you didn't look in there until Qiyamah, dates would have remained in there. There's a story related from Prophet Isa salam. Prophet Isa salam is going with his Hawadiyin, with his disciples. And he goes onto the water and he's walking on the water. And he tells the disciples, come on. So they start walking. So they start walking on the water as well. Until they think, hang on a second, they look down and they sink. So, when you've been told to do something, you get on with it. When you try and check things out too much and go into it, then uh, a person falls into difficulty. So, now Ibn al-Qayyim is going to go into specific sins. This was very general up until now. We spoke generally about the harmful effects of sins, and then he's categorized sins, and then he said the major sins, minor sins. Some have said there's 18 and we've listed them. Some have said, no, every sin, when you look at who you're disobeying, Every sin is a major sin. And now he's going to go into specific sins and he's going to start with the greatest sin. What's the greatest sin a person can commit? Sorry? Shirk. Shirk is the greatest sin associating a partner with Allah. Now, what we all know shirk is really bad. Why is it so bad? That's what he's going to explain. He's going to actually give us the theory behind it, the understanding of why shirk is so bad. And this is an amazing opportunity and chance for us to study this lesson from Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi Although he's passed away, okay, but we're benefiting from his teachings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him. This just shows you good deeds and the legacy that he leaves behind. He's passed away, he's buried in his grave, but look, he's left behind. This is Sadaqah Jariyah. How many people are benefiting from, not just, he's, he's got loads of books. And they're all like this. They're all very interesting and they break the topics down and they deliver the message in a very beautiful way. So this is this should inspire us to do as many good deeds and leave behind a good legacy so that not only we benefit people after 700 years ago. Okay, he passed away, I think, roughly. And he's benefiting from our sitting here and our implementing his lessons because the hadith says, if you die, all your actions come to an end except for a few. And one of them was beneficial knowledge that you leave behind. This is a sadaqah jariyah. So now he goes on to explain. He says, Inna Allah Azza wa Jal Rusulahu. 
Allah sent His messengers. And He sent down His books. He created the heavens and He created the earth. Why? So that He becomes known. Allah wanted to become known. He wanted people to know Him. So that people worship Him in His oneness. Tawheed. And that people worship Him. So that the whole religion and worship becomes only for Allah. And obedience is only for Allah. And anyone who invites anyone to anyone should be inviting to Allah. We are very familiar with this ayah of the Quran. That Allah only created the human and the jinn so that Allah is worshipped. He says, I only created the heavens, the earth, and everything in between. He says, It's all justified, Allah says. Everything I created and the way I did it, Allah says, is justified. No one has the right to pick a fault. And why is this like this? Allah says, It's all justified. By who? By the one who created it. Many, many verses he has brought to explain this point. Now he goes, He says, Allah informs us through these verses of the Quran. The purpose of why he created the whole of the world is that Allah becomes known and recognized by his names and by his attributes so that only Allah is worshipped and no partners are ascribed to him and so that people establish justice in the world what is this al-adl al-adl is justice now to understand something in Arabic we say in Arabic we say Things are understood by their opposites. If you want to understand something, but you can never appreciate good health if you don't know what sickness is. You can't appreciate the daytime if you don't know what the darkness of the night is. You don't understand poverty, uh, you don't understand richness until you've been through poverty. So he's saying, what is the opposite of Adil, justice? Injustice. What do we say? How do we say that in Arabic? Adhul. Zulm, injustice. Yes, Anjurs, but specifically we're speaking about Zulm. Zulm, the literal meaning of Zulm, if you pick up a dictionary, one is it means darkness, but the literal meaning is to put something where it doesn't belong. So what does Adl mean? Justice, so how would we translate that in English? The literal translation would be to put something where it belongs. So he's saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this whole world. He created the heavens and the earth so that he is worshipped. For his oneness is celebrated. Everybody obeys only him. And he wants in this world al-qist, meaning al-adl. Everything should be put in its place, meaning tawheed. Anyone that goes against this, what are they doing? Zulm. That's why the Quran says, Inna shirka la zulmun azim. The greater zulm and oppression is shirk. Everybody understand? So this is what he's explaining over here. Shirk is the greatest of zulm and putting something where it doesn't belong. This whole world, Allah created the whole world for tawheed, for his oneness, to be worshipped. And shirk is the most distant thing from that. It's the most distant thing. 
And in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that the highest level of adl in this world, justice. Yeah, you, Allah says he, he created this world with justice. The highest level of justice in this world is tawheed. People speak about being fair, being just a fair society. Okay, no discrimination. Okay, we have to be fair, no bias. This is where it starts from. This is where it starts from. The highest justice in this world, the highest level of justice and fairness and adl in the world is Tawheed. And the worst is Shirk. And that is why it's the greatest oppression. It's worse than any kind of oppression. You see oppression in the world, the greatest oppression in this world is to ascribe a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, so this is something Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is explaining to us. Now, uh, we're going to end here for today. In the next lesson, inshallah, which will be tomorrow, inshallah, after Fajr, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is going to tell us about one type of shirk. And that type of shirk is called riya. Riya means ostentation in English. Ostentation, meaning to show off, to do good deeds, to get fame, and for people to uh, give you good comments. And children, children thrive on this. Children thrive on Riya. Their whole upbringing is on this. Why? They'll do a little drawing or a painting. Mom, mom, look at this. Dad, look at this. Okay? Check me out. Look at me. Look at me. Look how tall I am. Okay? Look how good I am. Look how fast I am. This is what we did when we were children. We're not children anymore. Okay? We were children at one time. And children eventually, there's no child that does a picture. Okay? And then the mom and dad asks, where's your picture gone? He goes, I've gone and hid it. Why? Because I only did it for the sake of Allah. Okay? If last, no child does that. Children, this is when you're a child because you're immature. You don't have tamiz. Okay? When somebody's messing around, we call them but tamiz. Okay? Tamiz actually means to differentiate between right and wrong. Okay? Sinnut tamiz, the age of differentiation. When we are young, we don't know. So that's why we're always doing things to please other people, to please our parents, to please our teachers, to please the creation. But he's saying when you come to an age of maturity, you're not a three-year-old kid anymore, he's saying. Why is it that when we pray, we give charity, we want other people to know? That is always a driving factor. You're not a kid anymore. Come out of it, snap out of it. Ibn Qayyim is going to teach us how we can get spiritual maturity and snap out of the idea of always flashing our good deeds to other people. We're living in a time of social media. No one nowadays people can't give charity without announcing it. The charity is supposed to be done. You give it with your right hand and your left hand doesn't even find out. But then we're all about this. So he's going to go into this, inshallah. We'll continue this uh, tomorrow, inshallah, after Salatul Fajr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillah.